Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. From the broadcast to the podcast, it is your man DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV, even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot, hand on my Uwego. We invading airwaves. Yes, yes, y'all. You already know what it is. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we are on your podcast player of choice. It is your man, GM Cool. And welcome to another edition of Cool Radio. Um, <laughs> listen, listen, y'all. There's a lot to talk about. There, oh, my God. There is a lot to talk about, okay? If you have seen the media storm uh, over the week involving a certain uh, relationship guru quote-unquote we'll get to that just know that we are going to be discussing that today um it's no secret i'm talking about darren jackson okay darren jackson jackson pardon me the jackass we will be talking about him today um i'll also be discussing um going more into the conversation of um the stop the asian hate movement um i think it's something that uh needs to be discussed a bit more i touched on it briefly uh on last week's episode um uh, but i wanted to give it i wanted to give it it's just due and give it some more time to have that discussion what have you um and just based on the conversations i've been having so with some of my asian friends as well so i really want to get it get in on that as well i would say that the topics are pretty light today uh just in terms of the quantity of topics but the quality I repeat, the quality will be there. And that's something that I always promise to all of you cool cats and cool kittens. So make no mistake on that. I will be giving you quality content to uh, pontificate upon, if you will. But before we get to all that, I got a little something that's on my chest right now that I need to air out. So on that note, it is time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. To get things started off today, I want to go into a little bit of hoops talk for a minute, just a little bit, just a little bit, and I want to talk about what transpired what transpired this week with the Toronto Raptors. So, for those of you guys who don't really follow ball too much or anything like that, um, longtime Raptors favorite uh, Kyle Lowry, the one of the many players who were instrumental in us winning our 2019 NBA championship, our World Championship if you will. Um, he was very vital in that and vital with a lot of things as well that have to do with the Raptors franchise, including the We the North era, which I kind of coin from being from 2013, probably up until maybe up until this year, if you will. And I say up until this year because of the fact that we are not necessarily in the win column uh, per se, uh, but within the prime of that of that of that era. He was instrumental in leading the Raptors to their best uh, stretch of regular season games ever as far as just pure wins in the regular season. So like damn near every year that he was on that he was on the team during that run, the Raptors had won 50 games or more. Um, And then also 
he's been the 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 franchise leader in a few categories but also ranked second and third all time in a few other ones as well um and then of course the championship i mean that that speaks for itself so on that note because of the fact that the raptors have been doing so poorly this year uh whether it's because of injuries or covid protocols or just not being used to uh being in that tampa environment and what have you uh the raptors have been struggling They've been struggling. As of this recording, they are 18 and 37. So that's nine games uh, under 500. Uh, before the trade, I believe they were 18 and 26. So eight games uh, uh, under 500. And so because of that, Masai Ujiri had some important decisions to make. So he was actually looking to trade Lowry because this is something that, you know, him and Lowry have been discussing. You know, should they come into the situation where they're struggling? And Lowry being on the final year of his contract, if they can just ship him to a contender for him to get a chance at earning a second ring as well. Not only that, but another player on the Toronto Raptors, Norman Powell, was in that same was in that similar predicament. He also was a heavy contributor to the Wheeler North era of the Raptors as well, uh, being drafted by the Raptors, forty third all the overall, I believe. He was a or was this forty six? Either way, second round draft pick. Uh, and we we basically groomed him and and helped him become the player that he is today. And he's had some very important moments for the Raptors, especially within the playoffs. And the playoffs is where Norman Powell comes to life. I mean, he's the real playoff P, if, if you ask me. Um, but, yeah, he was also at a crossroads because he was at the end of his contract and he chose to opt out of the final year of his contract, which would have given him $11 million. But because of the fact that he is playing at a prime level right now, like 19 points a game, 45% from three-point range, uh, an offensive and defensive threat, he is going to be making bank this summer. And because of the fact that the Raptors already have money, big money tied up into uh, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and OG Ananobi, Norman Powell's asking price would have been too much for the Raptors to afford because you got to think about... You know them leaving room to have like a maybe like a big name player, mind you, free agents don't really come to Toronto, but you always want to have that cap flexibility, and like that's the best type of equity you could have for any NBA franchise, whether you're a prime contender or if you're a team that's lottery bound. You always want to have cap flexibility, and if they had signed Norm to a twenty million dollar deal like on on an annual basis. There's no way that they would have had that flexibility, so they they had to they had to let him go. They had to let him go, and you know they traded him for Gary Trent Jr. Sorry, yeah, no, no, Gary Trent Jr. I got confused with his father, uh, Gary Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood, and those players, uh, I believe one of them is on an expiring contract, and the other is on their rookie deal. So they're team friendly contracts, so you can choose to trade them um, or or let one of them walk, whatever the case may be. So it was definitely a time of Raptors fans to be at the crossroads altogether because of the fact that, you know, especially if you've enjoyed the, this current run of the Raptors, you don't want to see these guys go. You don't want to see these guys go. And it's hard, but at the end of the day, us as fans, media members, whatever the case may be, we recognize that it's a business. And as long as... All parties are aware of that. They're being treated with the respect that they deserve based on the service that they've uh, performed for said franchise and for the fan base 
for X amount of years now, you want to make sure that you give them their just due. Um, trading Norman Powell, which is what transpired on Wednesday, I believe, um, or sorry, Thursday, sorry, pardon me, Thursday, uh, to the Portland Trailblazers, I think they did him just due because we got quality players back in return for him, and we traded him to a team that will be in the playoff hunt. Uh, we don't know how far they'll go, but if you have Damian Lillard as your franchise player, then you're heading in a good direction. Like, that's that's it's game time. Like, you couldn't ask for a better... Better for you couldn't ask for a better situation based on the circumstances. And then as for Lowry, see that's the interesting thing because when the when the when the dust settled and the smoke cleared, the Raptors didn't end up trading for Kyle Lowry simply because they couldn't find a trade package that they thought was worthy of trading their six-time All Star. And I don't blame them for that one bit because you look at the Houston Rockets for example, and granted a trade had to be made. But if you look at all the pieces that were involved in said trade, none of them have panned out. In fact, they traded, I think, all of those pieces that they acquired for James Harden uh, on the Thursday trade deadline because of the fact that they went through a gruesome 20-game losing streak. And their season was basically finished at that point. So they just decided that they had to unload everything. But even though you are no longer going to be paying for the services of James Harden, the fact that you traded all of your assets um, that you acquired in that trade means that you lost the trade tremendously. And people were already saying that they lost the trade because they felt like they didn't get enough for Harden. And, you know, some people are a little bit more black and white. They're saying you don't trade James Harden. You don't trade James Harden. But when a guy says that he wants to be traded and that, you know, he's doing everything in his power to be traded, whether that's, you know, playing half haphazardly um, going to parties, you know, uh, despite not following COVID protocols, going to public place, places without a mask. He's asking to be traded and he's kind of acting like a liability to your team. So I get that they want to acquiesce and trade, but you don't want to trade just for just for the sake of trading. And I'm glad that the Raptors did not follow that example, because, again, Kyle Lowry is a quality player. His stats may not jump up to you like a lot of other players. He may not be the three-point threat from like half court like Steph Curry. He doesn't have wizardry handles like Kyrie Irving. He doesn't have, you know, that audacious clutch factor like a Dame Lillard. He may not be seen as the point god like a Chris Paul, but he's from that same tree as a Chris Paul, I would say. And this is not me saying that as a Raptors fan. It's just me saying that as, as an objective um, observer of the game. He may not have all those things, but the fact that he's been able to lead his team, and it was his team, let's keep it 100, the fact that he's been able to lead his team to, what, six or seven consecutive playoff uh, playoff appearances and 50-game win seasons, which also culminated in the NBA championship. Mind you, we know Kawhi was by far the most talented player on that team, but nonetheless, you need a point guard like Kyle Lowry to steer the ship. You want value back from him i mean we're talking about again six-time all-star nba champion olympic gold medalist uh all uh, sorry not all time uh, all team nba like this guy's accolades is borderline hall of fame worthy and again you want to make sure you get equal value for him but a lot of the players or sorry a lot of teams didn't want to budge on that uh whether it's because they didn't have enough assets um that Masai was happy with or because of the fact that they see him as an, a 35-year-old point guard who may not be able to give uh, a lot to the team. But if you are trading for Kyle Lowry, you're not looking for him to be the franchise guy. You're looking for him to be the complimentary third piece to 
whatever duo you may have or whatever uh, system you already have set up. So he's not going to be your A1. He's going to be like, he's going to be your third guy. You know what I mean? And he's a wonderful third guy to have on, on, on an NBA team. So Raptors stood pat. They didn't trade him. A lot of the fan base was happy. Um, I was already coming to terms with him being traded. And I was, I was accepting of it as long as it was a good trade for both parties. Because the last thing I wanted to happen again was a Vince Carter situation where we got nobody for him. Like Aaron and Eric Williams. Who are those guys? I, I bet none of you know who those guys are, and I don't expect you to. And then we also got Alonzo Mourning out of the deal. But he was, okay, first of all, he was way past his prime. And secondly, he didn't even report to Toronto. This guy said he retired he retired, but then he signed a deal with the Miami Heat mere months later. But whatever. Point I'm trying to make is you want to get the best value for for the asset that you're trading away, and the Raptors didn't see that uh, based on the deals that were offered, so they decided to stand pat. And I don't blame I don't blame Masai and company for that. Um, does this mean that he's going to be a Raptor for the rest of his career? No, it doesn't mean that. Will he be traded um, during the offseason when he becomes a free agent? We don't know because that is a possibility. We could do a sign and trade um, with Kyle Lowry to to a contending team uh, if he doesn't feel as though he can continue on his career in Toronto and and get to that promised land once again. And if that's the case, then that's fine. Like he's given us his best years. Like his prime was in Toronto, and you couldn't ask for anything more. So I won't even be mad if that's the case. But if we decide to sign him to a team friendly deal, keyword team friendly, uh, then I'm okay with that as well. But if it's a situation where Kyle Lowry is looking for like another $30 million deal, then it's best to let him walk at that point or to agree to a sign and trade, one of the two. Because I'm sorry, I love Kyle Lowry, but I don't feel comfortable. Like if I'm the GM, I wouldn't feel comfortable signing him to a $30 plus million deal when he has just turned 35. And we all know with point guards, they don't really age that well in the NBA. So I wouldn't be comfortable with that. But Besides a smart man, Bobby is a smart man, so we'll see how it goes. So for now, as a Raptors fan, I'm happy that Kyle's here, and I'm curious to see if they can turn things around. Like, if they can at least get themselves in the play-in position, cool. You know, like, play with a little bit of pride at the end of the year. I would say for Raptors fans, you know, at this point, don't get your, don't, do not get your hopes up. Please do not get your hopes up. If they get into the play-in situation, great. Um best case scenario they make it past the play in situation they get themselves they get themselves a seed and they get seeded against a team that they can give fits to so let's say they you know match up with the philadelphia 76ers that serves as a better matchup for the raptors i believe that the sixers would, would win that series but it would be a tough out they would that the raptors would serve as a tough out and at this point if you if you can at least get that then you know be happy with what you got. Like, I know we've all been spoiled because of the championship win. And it's not like that win happened like a decade ago. It happened only two years ago. You know what I mean? It happened two years ago. By this time in 2019, we were getting ready for the playoffs and we were trying to see if we could seed at the number one spot. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, just lower the expectations. As for Norman Powell, I'm going to miss that guy. I am going to, to miss that guy. He was ready all the time. That man was ready. He was ready to suit up. Suit up. Um, he had his inconsistencies from time to time, and you know what? It happens, but you can never question his heart or his hustle. And most importantly, he is he is somebody who truly understands the grind. Uh, so 
Big ups to Norman Powell. I wish him well. I wish him so well in Portland. Uh, Damian Lillard is my favorite player in the NBA. So seeing him play alongside him as like a three and D wing, that's going to be fun. He's going to he's going to open things up a lot more for Dame because Norm again forty five percent from three point range. Dame already has the range. Uh, McCollum, he's back. He's looking healthy. Carmelo, I think he's still coming off the bench for for the Blazers, which is a good fit for him. So I think I think the Blazers with the addition of Norman Powell can really make some noise. They can definitely make some noise. So we'll see how everything uh, pans out. But to all the Raptors fans listening at home, what do you guys think about the trade? Did we make a good trade? Uh, did we do the right thing by not trading Kyle Lowry? Let me know. I really want to hear from from all of you. Um, if you want, hit me up on all my socials. You, you guys already know what my socials are. Uh, and let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So let's get into the next topic. Now, this segment right here, I've never really had a name for this particular segment, but I'm going to give it one right now. Why not? This segment is called Mike Check. All right. So Mike Check. And I'm going off of memory based on what I've talked about in this little block because this is usually this is usually the block where I have a guest uh, on the show, but I don't have a guest on the show all the time, right? So, with that said, on this block, Mike Check, this will be the block where I talk about you know current affairs or anything in general that could that could drum up conversation, um, anything that's happening within pop culture in general or that's been happening in pop culture uh, for a number of years or anything that's happening within the realm of current events. All right. So I'm going to give it that name. I'm going to give it that name tripped. Uh, sorry. Uh, Mike check, Mike check. That's going to be the name Mike check. So on that note, on the newly christened Mike check segment, let's get into our Mike check topic of the week. And that is the Asian hate. Now, last week, um, I touched briefly on the attacks uh, that were happening to uh, Asian women in Atlanta, uh, including the unfortunate and and brutal massacre of multiple Asian women um, at the hands of some sociopath serial killer. And, you know, my thoughts on that is that there is absolutely sickening to hear about that. Uh, people who were defenseless had nothing to do with anything. They were just you know, making an honest living, whether it's the women who are working at the salon or, or the sex workers, you know, they weren't hurting anybody. They didn't do anything. They didn't do anything bad to anyone. And yet the psychopath came in thinking that he was entitled, came in and shot, shot up every single person that stood in those facilities. And then you had the police sheriff who had the, the audacity, the nerve, the unmitigated gall and the gumption to state that the serial killer, white guy, by the way, was, quote unquote, simply having a bad day. A bad day is dropping a $50 bill on the ground that you're going to use as part of your fund for groceries. A bad day is bumping your toe on your bedside and having your toe turn blue. A bad day is when the Raptors lose to an inferior team that you know they could have wiped the floor off any given night of the week, but they didn't for this night for, for whatever reason. And a bad day is forgetting the movie tickets for a premiere that you've been looking forward to for the last few months and you forgot them on your banister at home. That is having a bad day. A bad day does not involve some serial killer going into a salon and shooting up multiple Asian women 
all because of the fact that he was trying to wean himself off of his own Asian female fetish and couldn't find a constructive way to do it. So therefore, he decided to purify himself, quote unquote, by murdering and executing every single person of Asian descent in his sight. That is not a bad day. That is called murder. Murder in the first degree. And it's interesting that when these white serial killers are always killing off minorities or just killing off a large group of people in general, there's always some sad, dramatic backstory that they got to give this person a question so that the viewer can develop some, some, some form of empathy and, and paint him as a tragic hero of sorts. You know, Dylan, Dylan Roof, for example, troubled youth, didn't get along with others that much. Or even the, the, uh, the guy who shot the movie theater. I can't remember in what city it was in. But they talked about his parents got divorced when he was younger and he was a, a university student. All these things, all these things to make us give a shit about somebody who just caused a massacre. You know, the same thing when it, when it hap- uh, uh, that happened at the uh, Boston Marathon back in 2013. Uh, the person who, who, uh, who created the bombing. Again, another sympathetic backstory. Even the way Dylan Roof was apprehended after he murdered a church full of black people. And despite him saying that he did it so that he could start a race war. Not only was he properly apprehended by police. But they took him to a Burger King because they thought that he was hungry and that he could probably get some food on the way to the police station. Let that be a person of color. And they will shoot that man down before they can they can even slap the bracelets on him. This is an open and shut case, ladies and gentlemen, like. All those people who who want to believe that we live in a post-racial society because we had a black president or because of now that we have or America, I should say, has a black president, pardon me, or because of the fact that America has a black female vice president, that there's no more racism in the world. Yeah, tell that to George Floyd, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor. Or tell it to all those um, Asian women who just got shot in that in that beauty salon, because I think they would, I think they would beg to differ if they had a chance to speak. And with regards to you know all this Asian hate uh, that's happening, you know it, it's not just you know in, in in our in our streets; it's happening in in the world of pro sports as well. You look at a player like you look at an athlete like Jeremy Lin, for example. For those who don't know. NBA basketball player. He did play along. He did play with the Raptors as well, and was part of that championship-winning team back in 2019. Um, he experienced. He's well for his whole life. He's experienced that hate from time to time, but he recently experienced it as well uh, when he was playing for uh, the Golden State Warriors uh, developmental team, and one of the opposing players thought it was funny to call him COVID, to call him a disease. And I guess it's funny because, well, he's Asian and COVID came from Asia. So therefore, calling him COVID sounds about right, doesn't it? Obviously, it doesn't. And he made note of that. And he let it be known that it wasn't cool. It's not funny. It's highly discriminatory. 
and that he won't stand for it. And no Asian across the world should stand for that either. And rightfully so. I agree with him 110%. And I like that he spoke out on it because now you have his peers in the NBA speaking out on it as well, which is good. I even saw Damian Lillard wear a Stop the Asian Hate t-shirt while he was on the bench for a game. Dope. I mean, obviously, the t-shirt isn't the end-all be-all, but the fact that you're promoting that is part of the step in the long journey that we have for equality amongst all minorities. But nonetheless, this should be talked about more prevalently, I find. Um, I, I took... The I, I, I made it a task to speak to some of my Asian friends and co-workers uh, over the last couple of weeks to, to see where they're at uh, with their feelings in regards to, you know, the Asian discrimination, uh, both recently and also during this entire year and a bit that we've gone through COVID, but also in their personal lives, even way before COVID as well. Like, what experiences have you had? Um, and I've had a lot of my friends open up to me. I'm very appreciative of that because these are the same people who gave me support, you know, when the George Floyd situation was, was unfolding, you saw like the, the open racism from so many people and what have you. So it was good that they had my back and I wanted to make sure that I paid it for by, by having their back as well, because it would be extremely hypocritical of me to, to not have, uh, to not give them my support in the, in their time of need, you know, like, I don't know how they're processing it unless if I ask. And, you know, it would be a shame if they are processing it in a very negative way and I'm not there to, to help them out because I'm not doing my job as a friend if that's the case. But, yeah, they were they were brave and gracious enough to, to share their experiences with me. And it's funny how, you know, we, we pattern ourselves as being so different from one another, but some of our experiences bring us a lot closer together because I could say that some of the experiences that they've had um, are somewhat similar to mine. But then I can also see the differences in some of them, especially if I'm talking about my Asian female friends, because, you know, it's an ugly truth that nobody wants to admit. But if we're talking about Asian females, for example, the world, especially white men, see them as docile creatures um, meant for their their desires and their fetishes and, and their and their fetishes or fetish fetish. I don't know. I don't <laughs> fetishes, fetishes, whatever the, the plural is for that. Um, but nonetheless, you know, they've been subjugated to that for for years, you know, and you look at how they're portrayed in pop culture, especially. Um, and I'm just I'm talking about a- Asians in, in general. Um, like I just said, Asian women are, are seen as docile and docile and submissive creatures, whereas, you know, Asian male Asian males are seen as unmasculine or not masculine enough and are seen as, you know, the dorky or nerdy types. And they typically get the brunt of uh, the comedic jokes uh, within movies or television. And those jokes usually point to the Asian stereotypes. I don't think enough people realize or understand that that is such a such an inaccurate depiction of Asian people as a whole. You know, I and, you know, going back into, you know, entertainment and what have you, like I am an enthusiast of martial arts films. And martial arts films started off in in China, China and Japan in, in particular. You look at a director like Akira Kurosawa. He directed a lot of classic uh, samurai films that were basically the Japanese version of a lot of the classic spaghetti Western films that you would watch in the United States. So like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or anything with Clint Eastwood in it. It's that type of level um, 
of of prestige that they have over in Japan for the, for those types of films, and a lot of, and a lot and a lot of aspects and attributes of those films have been adapted into American films as well. And then you look at some of the martial arts films from uh, the Shaw Brothers or or uh, Golden Harvest, for example. A lot of those served as a blueprint for what would later come into North America. And Bruce Lee was a huge proponent of that. Bruce Lee actually ex- expanded the martial arts uh, cinema uh, cinema in- industry into the West. And sometimes he doesn't really get a, a whole lot of credit for it as well, because unfortunately what happens with a lot of minorities is that their ideas get taken. And some of the movies that and shows that he, you know, uh, pitched to different studios, they greenlit those projects. However, they had a white man play the lead role, a role that he wanted to play. Prime example of that is you look at a movie, um, not a movie, a TV series. It's called Kung Fu. And it starred an actor by the name of David Carradine. And that role was basically supposed to go to Bruce Lee, but then they changed it and made him the lead because they thought that they would sell a lot more if they gave that role to a white man. And unfortunately, that trend or that move became a trend in America where you would have the white protagonist and the majority of the cast would be Asian, but he would serve as what you would call the white savior where he goes into the East, uh, learns a mystical form of combat, uh, learns the ways of the monks and the masters, brings it over into America and saves the day, or he'll stay in Asia, fight off the Asian male protagonist who probably has the the appearance of Fu Manchu, which is a very offensive stereotype. It's basically like blackface or Sambo for black people. And then after that, he saves the day. He gets the Asian girlfriend who just is swooned over him because of his blonde hair and blue eyes and before you know it, the end. The modern day version of that would be Iron Fist. <laughs> Let, let's keep it 100. But yeah, that's what Hollywood was like back in the 70s and 80s. Um, and it wasn't until the 90s where you saw somewhat, I'm not even saying a huge change, but somewhat of a shift because you had major stars coming over from east to west like Jackie Chan, Jet Li, Donnie Yen, and a few others. But nonetheless, tropes like that existed in Hollywood. And they still exist to a certain extent to this day. Um, But it's only, you know, in this decade where I personally have noticed a few changes within Hollywood. Right. And now you're seeing a few more lead roles by Asian males and Asian females in different movies like Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians is probably the biggest example of that. Um, Always Be My Maybe with uh, Randall Park and Amy Wong, you know, the romantic comedy that was released on Netflix Uh, to all the boys I loved. Uh, you have there's a show or a movie with Aquafina. I can't remember the name of it, but she's the lead role in that. Uh, you have the new Mortal Kombat movie coming out uh, with the lead role being played by Louis Tan. Uh, you have a show like Into the Badlands that was uh, played by Daniel Wu as a lead. A show like Warrior, which is a pri- which is a predominantly Asian cast, again Asian uh, lead role, uh, which is more of a period piece that deals with the Chinese immigrating into um, San Francisco back in the late 1800s. So there are some changes that are happening. Um, But, you know, I feel like 
there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to stop the perpetuation of Asian stereotypes as well as to stop the Asian hate and, and, and whatever that may come with it. You know, um, there's the, the, the trends of even in anime, there are the trends of what you would call Weibo culture, which is basically white kids who are dressing up like anime characters and basically appropriating, you know, Asian culture that is depicted within anime, basically. And again, like there's a difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation. And they're way on the line of a cultural of cultural appropriation. Like a Weibo is basically like the extent of being a wigger. So being like a white person dressing up, dressing up in hip hop fashion. But then when real issues arise in the black community, they, they are quick to say nothing at all. That would be the equivalent of that. So there's things like that, that that happen within the Asian community. But then the things that really piss me off the most as a minority within Canada, I'm not even speaking about America for a second. I'm going to speak about Canada right now because that's where I'm from. The thing that annoys me the most about Canada is the fact that Canadians, uh, white Canadians specifically, not all, but there are quite a lot. I'm not even going to say some. There's a lot. There's a lot. I'm not even going to say if they're the majority or whatever, but a lot is a lot. You you figure out what amount that is, if you will. But there are a lot of white Canadians who either pretend that racism doesn't exist here, or they gaslight it by saying that their racism is not as bad as America. Okay, so our racism our racism isn't as bad as America. How foolish would would it be for me to say something to the extent of, you know? That guy right there, he's not that bad of a murderer. Instead of using a knife, he uses a gun. So it's a less painful death. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what it sounds like when you hear people say, well, our racism isn't as bad as America. You sound like a claff. All right. You sound like a claff by saying something as obscene as that. It's not as bad. It's not as bad. Like a lot of people think that racism is just throwing out a racial slur towards a minority group. No, it's more than that. It's systemic. It's calculated. It's oppressive. There's so many things that go into racism. Racism isn't just one thing. It's a large tree that has separate branches that are rooted in evil, (laughs) essentially. And, you know, the biggest example of Canadians, white Canadians, some or a lot of white Canadians who ignore racism um, is the is the way they treat aboriginals like if there's any way that you want to prove racism exists in canada look no further than the aboriginal community all right and it's a shit that they don't teach you in history books like i remember somebody told me about this a couple of years ago something called the northern lights tours and it's such a disgusting name once i tell you what the definition of that is but it's basically when they abduct native men uh, who are drunk or incapacitated or whatever the case may be, they take them into the back of their cop cars and they drop them off in northern tundras where it's super cold and there's no forms of life in sight. And they just drop them off there and let them freeze to death. That sounds like racism to me. The, the undocumented cases of Native women being abducted that sounds like racism to me. The fact that you have the Alberta government creating pipelines with the sacred burial grounds that belong to native people. That sounds like racism to me. 
the fact that natives are being exiled into quote unquote reserves where there's little to no um, uh, resources or anything of the sort. That sounds like racism to me. The fact that back way before, you know, we had cell phones or whatever the case may be, the fact that people from Europe came into a land that wasn't their own, tricked people into thinking that they were friends, then stole their resources, murdered them, raped their women and gave them diseases and claimed the land to be their own and formed their own government in the process. That sounds like racism to me. So let's not pretend that there isn't any racism in Canada. And and to bring everything to a close um, on this topic, uh, especially when it comes to the Asian community, um, we need to see more unity amongst minorities and as well as allies to stand with our fellow Asian brothers and sisters when it comes to the hate. Because at the end of the day, we're all minorities. We're all in a land that isn't our own. Well, technically, everyone who isn't native is in a land that isn't their, that isn't their own. But nonetheless, we are the minority, you know, when it comes to the numbers uh, in terms of the population of us, the population of uh, people who are in certain job sectors, population of people who are in within certain communities, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So we have to do a lot more to stand together. And I noticed with this generation, a lot more people are more vocal, which is good. You need more vocal people because from what my, you know, Asian friends have told me, um, they've told me that their previous generations were the people who kind of wanted to be the model minority and not have anyone bother them. They just want to keep their head down and do their work and, and not cause any trouble or anything like that. Whereas this generation, again, from what I'm told is that no, they, they, they want to stand up and say something and, 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 and speak for, up on their own rights, which is exactly what you should do. And rightfully so. So to any of my Asian friends who are listening or any Asians in general who are possibly listening to this podcast, just know that your boy DM Cool got your back. You know, I'll always stand up for for any minority that's being oppressed because as a black man, I would like for people who aren't in my community to stand up and stand alongside me to speak out on the injustices that happened to my community. So, again, I would like to pay that same respect and do the same for for another community that isn't my own as well, because that's the only way that we can get over this, that we can help each other uh, fight against racism. I don't believe that racism is going to die in our lifetime. Like we will be, we will pass away before racism is truly over. But let's at least put in work for the next generation of minorities to make it less difficult for them, but so, but so, but also so that they have enough tools to fight against it as well going forward. All right, so let's get into the next topic now. And I know y'all have been waiting for this. I, I've been waiting for this too. Let's talk about the waste man known as Derek Jackson. All right. Oh my goodness. Ladies and gentlemen, cool cats and cool kittens all across the world. Your boy DM Cool has been waiting for this all week. <clears throat> day after day after day, the news just kept on coming in. And it was coming into the point where I was losing track of how many mistresses were coming at the woodworks and and what was said and what was, what had transpired. Who flew who over to what state and what city? 
Oh boy, oh boy, it felt like Christmas in March. So to make sure I had the story straight and that I wasn't being too much of a chatty patty, I decided to do a little bit of research, you know, as a good journalist does. So while the circus was happening all week, as much as I wanted to say something, I'm like, you know what? Let me reserve my thoughts for the pod because I know my cool cats and cool kids are going to want to hear my take on what transpired. But not only am I going to do that and celebrate the hypocrisy, the habitual hypocrisy of one Derek Jackson, we are going to take a trip back to memory lane and do a recap of how this all went down. It's almost going to be like a Marvel rewind, if you will. So sit back, relax, get your tea and crumpets, whatever you're drinking, coffee, matcha, espresso, I don't care, H2O, Henny, whatever it is that you are sipping on. Fill that bad boy up one more time because we are about to go in. This is the Trip Talk segment. We only have one topic in this category, but it's a big one. And this is what I was talking about when it came to quality, okay? All right, so for those of you who don't know or do know but only know the general details but don't really know how we all got here, this is how it went down. So in case you don't know at all, Derek Jackson is what you would call a relationship guru. And I'm going to go in on that term guru a little bit later on in the segment. But he fancies himself as a relationship guru. And he became popular. Pardon me. He became popular in 2016 by doing a bunch of viral videos from his uh, car talking about what a man should do for a woman, etc., etc. Now, his prime target fan base was black women. All right. Now, if you look at Derek Jackson Jr., or I keep adding the junior to the name because he, he has a very similar name to a basketball player. The player I'm thinking of is Derek Jones Jr., so I keep adding the junior beside his name. I'm trying to not do that, but nonetheless, I digress. Derek Jackson, you know, for all accounts, he's an attractive-looking man, all right? Tall, dark skin, athletic, muscular. I get it. I see the appeal. Like, I'm not, I'm not a hater um, in terms of his appearance. I, I see the appeal. And he knows his appeal, and that's what he uses to market himself, all right? He's basically the woman, or sorry, he's basically the man that every black woman dreams of having. Somebody who's smart, educated, really good-looking, knows how to treat a woman. And he uses that to his advantage to sell women on a dream, all right? But anyways, I'll save that I'll save that answer for later on in this t- topic, because right now, I just want to give you the rewind. But now that you know the gist of this guy, let's get into this timeline. So, back in 2010, before he was famous or whatever, he was just a regular guy. And he was with a woman by the name of Candace, or at least talking to her in some form or fashion. Don't know if they exactly had a relationship at this point, or if they had something casual going on, but there wasn't a whole lot going on that was noteworthy. But just know that they established a connection in 2010. Fast forward to 2016. He is now... A viral sensation. Women are watching his videos. They're watching him, you know, unload on, you know, men as a whole, not even a specific type of man, but men as as a whole who refuse to acquiesce to certain things that he deems are manly and that he deems are what 
a woman should do. So, or, or deem what a man should do for a woman, rather. So, a lot of the videos that he does, he talks about how, you know, men should be more chivalrous. They should, you know, hold open the doors. And I'm not saying the stuff that he's saying is bad, but a lot of the things that he's saying are that he says are very antiquated when it comes to the dynamics between men and women, especially now when we're now in a society that's trying to be more progressive, where we see where men and women are trying to see each other as equals, especially within the relationships. But he's trying to take it back to the old school. And with that, he he's more of a Steve Harvey, but more for the younger generation. Now, in these videos, like he will not only say these types of things, but he will also acquiesce to some of the standards that some women have, some, some, not all, but some, that to any regular person sound kind of a little unreasonable, to say the least, or unrealistic. But because of the fact that he is a man, a good-looking man, a good-looking black man at that, and he's saying these things, he's playing into their emotions, their insecurities, their fantasies, if you will. And a lot of these women are receptive of that to the point where they say, that's a real man right there. That's a real man. When really, how you know a man and a woman coalesce with one another is totally subjective. What, what may work for one couple may not work for another couple. But he's trying to say that if you don't do this, if you don't follow this blueprint, then you're a waste man. You, you, you're not a real man at all. You're a coward. You're a little boy. You're not ready for a real man. And he'll even denigrate men for not being with a woman who may be overweight or a woman who has children from a multiple from a previous relationship or from a woman who doesn't work. And he's basically like absolving any of these women that may fit that bracket of any accountability whatsoever and basically tells these women that you don't have to hold yourselves accountable for any of these things that, um, that relate to you. It's up to the man to make you feel secure. And if he can't do that, then he's not a real man. You deserve better queen. He panders to them. He heavily, heavily panders to them. And it's blatantly obvious that that's his shtick. So that's basically how this guy got popular. And that's the the sum of his videos from 2016 up until now. So while he was doing these videos, he was also in a relationship. I don't think this was common knowledge to a lot of people, at least not to me. Like, I'm not a, a devout follower or fan of this guy whatsoever, but... Apparently, he was in a relationship with a woman. Um, I can't. Remember, I think her name was Denia, the woman that he's currently married to, uh, the one that he was in the video with that we'll get to later on. Uh, but he was married to that woman uh, while he was doing these videos. All right, and while he was married to this woman doing these videos, guess who shows up back in his life again? Candace, the woman that he met back in 2010. So. Him and Candace were talking back and forth, and they decided to have a rendezvous of sorts, if you will. So apparently what ended up happening is his wife, apparently the, the rumor is that they were separated at this time or whatever the case may be, um, but that's up to speculation and interpretation. Uh, but what ended up happening is that while she was visiting her family in Colorado along with their kids... Yes, Darren Jackson has kids with this denial woman. Did not know. Um, 
he decides to have a rendezvous with this Candace woman, not only with her, but with other women as well. And he brought his friends along for the ride. And they all went to Miami and he hooked up with her there several times within that trip. And if that wasn't bad enough, he takes her back to Atlanta, which is where him and his wife, Denia, live. And he brings her over to his house and slept with that woman on the same bed (laughs) that that him and his wife share. Keep in mind, not only does he say that men should be accepting of women with a whole bunch of baggage and other negative attributes that they refuse to take accountability for, but he also goes out of his way to demonize, condemn, and discredit and 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 refute any man who has ever cheated or or continues to cheat. Meanwhile, he himself is cheating. It's bad enough if you cheat as somebody who's currently in a relationship with somebody, but when you're married, that is even worse because you took vows in front of your friends, family, peers, and in the eyes of the Lord, which by the way, we will also get to later on. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he's doing all that while preaching to his followers that men who cheat are dogs and should be uh, giving your time and that a man is never sorry for uh, cheating. He's only sorry if he has gotten caught. And at this point in time, he hasn't gotten caught yet. So with that said, let us continue on with the next story. So the next story comes by way of a woman named Lanai. And Lanai is somebody who wrote to him uh, on social media. I don't know if it was in the DMs or in a comment section, but basically saying how she's having issues in her relationship and she needs advice. And somehow Derek saw this as an invitation to say, let's meet up. So they met up and guess what happens? They had sex. So he cheated on his woman again. Now, keep in mind, we don't know exactly how many women that he has cheated with. But these are two women who are who are confirming that they had an affair with this man. So these are two confirmed cases so far. Okay. now keep in mind. When all this is happening, he is blatantly ignoring the phone calls and the text messages from these women the moment his wife is back in the picture, because now it's a thing where he is fearful that his wife is starting to pick up on his actions. So therefore, he cuts off any communication that he has with these women. And so what happens at that point? These women get in contact with a popular podcaster and YouTuber by the name of Tasha K. And they give her the inside scoop on what Derek Jackson has been doing with these women. So she gets the inside scoop and then she reports on it on her channel. And that is when everyone and their mama heard about the whole Derek Jackson thing. Okay, that's how it all blew up. So he gets on the video. First video, mind you, the first video, he's saying how um, he did not cheat on his wife. He did say that he was involved sexually with the woman. However, him and said woman did not have sex. 
Now, I don't know if you can hear, but I am stroking my beard and looking up into the sky with a thinking face because I'm thinking to myself, how do you claim to be sexually involved with a woman and yet there is no sex involved? I mean, are you having virtual reality sex? Are you having maple leaf sex? Are you having sex with your clothes on, you know, dry humping? Are you doing that? Because I'm really trying to figure out how you can be sexually involved with a woman or with anyone and not have sex. Make it make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand. I mean, is it like the episode of of uh, Black Mirror, uh, the Fighting Vipers episode where the two friends are wearing the, the VR headset and they're and they're using avatars in the game to not combat each other, but to have sex with each other. I mean, is that what he meant? I mean, if that's what he meant, then I guess I understand. But I don't think he meant that. I really don't. So I'm sorry, Mr. Jackson, but we don't believe you. You need more people. Not only did he try to refute the claims of him actually committing adultery, but he also tried to sell one of his books. I don't know if it's a new book that he just put out or one of his older releases, but he turned it into a video talking about the reason why he created this book. And I can't remember the name of it, but I just thought it was really silly. So not only that, but now that this has become a full out firestorm, but now he gets on video camera with his wife in hand, like literally, like they're holding hands, they're locking in, and they got his wife looking crazy, all right? Like, I'm not going to spend too much time with the wife because she doesn't deserve the brunt of this, but she got pulled into it. I'll talk briefly about her, but I'm going to keep it as much on Derek Jackson as I can. But he then goes on camera with his wife to talk about the allegations, and he did confirm that he did, in fact have sexual relations with sex involved, okay? So now we have it confirmed. There's no VR headset. There's no imagining it. There is no dry humping, but there is actual intercourse involved with said people, okay? There we go. Got it good since you understood. And so he confirms that, and, you know, he tries to absolve himself and and use, you know, the, the religion card, like all black, like all black overly righteous and sanctimonious christians do and say that you know god was testing me and i failed but this is gonna make me stronger because i am a man of god i am a man of faith and all blah 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 shut the fuck up jeez that was annoying me when i was watching that shit but then his wife unfortunately got on camera as well and was saying the same thing saying you know like she doesn't condone the actions and that she is a god-fearing christian woman and it's her right as a christian to forgive her man and and to be faithful and and to walk this and to see this journey through with him and i'm like oh my god y'all are drinking the kool-aid heavy Ooh, 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 and like you could tell that the body language um, with his wife, Denia, oh, it was off. Like, you could tell how uncomfortable and, uh, and how unsettling it was because you could tell that she's not a social media person. Like, she 
She probably doesn't have a whole lot of pictures on her Instagram account, if she even has one. She probably doesn't get on video a lot. She's probably a simple person who just wants to live a simple life, and that's fine. But to have her on camera, I don't blame her for this, but to have her on camera, you know, with her with her bonnet and everything, just kind of looking all out of sorts. It was a terrible look more on Derek Jackson because he only used her as a patsy. He used her as a patsy to show that he is still a faithful, God-fearing Christian black man. That's all he used her for. And he wasn't even concerned about having her forgiveness. He was more concerned about having his business. So not the forgiveness, but the business. He still wanted to have a legion following of fans that will still buy his books and go to his seminars so that they can put money into his pockets and so that he can reap the benefits of it. And what better way to show that you are still faithful than by having your loving, devoting Christian wife right by your side? Chase! <sighs> Christianity, I tell you. Listen, the way people love to manipulate Christianity and religion altogether for their own benefit. My God. <sighs> Not surprised, but man. Like, he went all out to try and prove that. But nonetheless, this is, not the, this is not the end of it. This is not the end of it. On a side tangent, <clears throat> on a side tangent, she gets on her own video and tries to defend herself for wearing the bonnet. And she calls it um, a, a helmet of, of God or something like that. And she's also wearing her camouflage uh, long sleeve shirt talking about how it's her armor of God. I'm like, boo boo, boo boo. You're doing too much right now. You're doing too much. You, we, we forgave you for having to be a part of that cir circus clowns first video. You don't have to say anything. So it would be Hoover to not be in another video. Like you don't have to do this video. You don't have to, but it, it makes her look more crazy because now it's like, you're trying to defend yourself against internet trolls, which it'll never happen because the internet is undefeated. The only other entity on this planet that has a greater record is Father Time. So you're not going to do it. And secondly, the other thing to keep in mind of is, is the fact that you sound like you're defending the actions of Derek. He's the one that cheated on you. He's the one that should be explaining himself for his actions. You don't have to continue to defend him. Let him fall on his own sword and let him burn in the fire that he casted in the first place. You don't have to defend him. You shouldn't be defending him. Christian morality or not, like, let him take the brunt of it. So going back to Derek now, like, everyone's talking about this. Like, and it's not even just like the shade room. Or any of these internet blog gossip sites. But mainstream networks are picking this up. Like BBC, Entertainment Tonight, CNN. What? I didn't even know he was big like that. So now we get to the midpoint of the week. Can't remember whether this was a Wednesday or a Thursday. But we got details that there was not one but two. But now a third mistress has entered the fray. And this one in particular is the juiciest of them all. 
And I say that because this person, unlike the other women, chose to conceal her identity. Why? Because she is a practicing physician. I believe she is a surgeon. Okay? So you know she's making bank. And because of her practice, she wants to keep everything on the DL. And rightfully so. So apparently the deal with these two is that they met in October of 2020. So this is already after um, Derek has already cheated multiple times with the two confirmed women and plus some other women as well that we may not know about yet. So he told this woman that him and his wife were separated and thus they began a sexual relationship. I don't know if he was saying that they're now going to be a couple, but they had a sexual relationship nonetheless. And during that time, he she was she mentioned that there were some disturbing things that she noticed about him um, during the time that they were together. So, for example, she mentioned that he was a sex addict. Not surprised. And then she also mentioned how there would be times where he would be waiting in the parking lot in his car for her um, until her shift was done. And we're not talking about maybe like 15 minutes till it's over. We're talking about like hours. And mind you, she's in surgery but performance surgery, I should say, and he's in the car masturbating, recording it on video and sending the video to her while she's on her job. Seckle, seckle down, seckle, okay? You're doing too much. You're doing too much. She's already going to get the D. You don't need to do all that extra shit, all right? All this is transpiring, okay? All this is transpiring, And then what ends up happening is that somewhere down the line, he ends up getting her pregnant. And she tells him that she wants to abort the child because she has a career to think about. And also because of the fact that he's separated from a marriage and she just doesn't see kids as part of her future at this point in time. He tries to convince her to keep the child, but it does not work to any avail. So she aborts a child, and around this time, around this time, you know, again, the wife is is probably suspecting something. So he decides to block her like he did the other girls from all communication, phone numbers, social media, all that stuff. He continues to post more pictures of his wife to show that he is now back with his wife, I guess. There was even a point in time where she was using a specific perfume. And uh, what's her name? Lenaya or Denaya? Denaya. Pardon me. Denaya uh, Jackson's wife noticed that. So what did Jackson do? In true sociopathic form, he buys her the perfume that the third mistress was using and gives the perfume to his wife so that she wouldn't suspect him being around another woman. This guy is the epitome of an ain't shit nigga. And to all my women in the GTA, I don't really ever, I don't want to, I don't ever want to hear you talking about all Canadian bands are waste or all Toronto bands are waste just because you decide to deal to date with the local drug dealer. This guy is waste. This guy is waste. My God. Oh, man. So, once that happened, 
Um, I believe there is an event that took place on March 18th. I think it may have been the last time that they had sex with each other. I could be wrong. And if I am, somebody fact check me, fact check, check me on that because it's hard to keep, it's been hard to keep track of the story, but yeah, he decided, uh, or sorry, they had sex on that date and I'm talking about March 18th, 2021. So by the time you hear this, it's going to be March 28th. So we're talking about 10 days, all right? 10 days. Today, as of this recording, it's uh, March 27th, Saturday. So it's not even that far away. So this lets you know that he's still continuously cheating on his wife. And so with all this information at her disposal, she goes over to Tasha K because she's been getting the inside details on his philandering and she has like a one hour exclusive interview with this woman talking about all the details uh, and events that transpired during their affair. And one of the most daunting things that she mentioned in her expose with Tasha K is the fact that Darren Jackson, who's known for recording videos in his car as he's driving or as he's parked, a, a good percentage and handful of his videos were recorded as he was parked in front of the third mistress's car, the house. House. Let me repeat that because I, I kind of had a bit of a Freudian slip. Excuse me. But the third mistress, the surgeon, revealed to Tasha K that a good handful of the videos that Jackson has recorded were done right outside of her house and that you could see a portion of her house in the video uh, by way of the window. And she described what the front of her house looks like. And it was confirmed by some of the still images and screenshots that you could see of some of his videos. So this narcissist had the audacity the unmitigated gall and the gumption to record videos of him talking about how waste most men are by their cheating ways as he just finished or was about to go cheat with his current mistress. The definition of hypocrisy just found its new poster boy, ladies and gentlemen, and his name is Derek Jackson. My God, you have to be you have to be cocky, stupid or all the above to record videos about not committing infidelity while you just committed infidelity. My God, is he stupid? So now that all this has transpired and now that the news is out with the possibility of more women coming out of the woodworks, a lot of people are speculating that whatever events or deals that he have put in place are in jeopardy. In fact, he has a deal, a reported deal um, with TD Jakes that is reportedly worth over $100,000. And who knows? If that is still in play, it's possible. It's possible. And not only that, but there's also allegations that he domestically abused his wife. 
So not only are you a cheater, but you're now you're a woman beater? Ooh, that's a double whammy. And I feel even more terrible for that woman if that's the case. But if that's true, then this guy, I would be disappointed if his career wasn't over. Because it's one thing to be a cheater and a philanderer and, and position yourself as a man of God. Mistakes and everything. But then to be a domestic abuser on top of that? Nah. Nah, it's up to the women who are his devote followers to close their pocketbooks at that point, because if you continue to feed this man's pockets and his ego in the process, then you are part of the problem. You can no longer judge this man for being a philanderer and for being a a potential woman beater. If you're still giving him money, if you're still watching his videos, if you're still going to his events, COVID and all. No, no, you got to shut that shit down. And. What I hate about this guy is the narcissism, the hypocrisy, and his con artist behavior. Because I said this years ago, from like 2017 and onward, I said that this guy is nothing more than a fantasy for for black women who have found it hard or troubling to be in a relationship with a black man because of the fact that they're in their eyes, at least, they don't see a man that meets their level of expectations. Some of them have reasonable ones. Some of them are unrealistic. And what this guy does is that he taps into the emotional epicenter of a lot of these black women and and exposes and exploits their insecurities and lets it be his fodder so that he can get these women to rally behind them so that they can invest in whatever merchandise and whatever product and brand that he's selling. So whether it's the books uh, the the videos that he puts up, uh, the seminars that he has. He has made so much money off of this shit because of the fact that he found a way to tap into the insecurity of black women. He is no different from a Tyler Perry who makes movies about trotting, broken down black women who have been who have been wronged in so many ways. And he is no different from a con artist, word hustler like a Steve Harvey or Creflo Dollar who uses religion to influence the masses because who... What devoted Christian is going to go against the word of God? Because by doing that, it's sacrilegious. He does all that to create a facade and an image and a gimmick for himself, like a wrestling character, if you will, to create himself to be the perfect image of a black man that a woman can invest behind. And it's worked to damn near perfection. That's why I don't like this guy, because of the fact that he is using false narratives and, 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 and gouging into the insecurities of these people for his own profit and benefit. He is a hustler, he is a con artist, and he is an overall piece of shit who deserves no sympathy from anyone or anything whatsoever. Because people like him, people who come from the cult of personality, have been able to 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 manipulate the masses whether it's jim jones charles manson donald trump let's be honest as well as a boatload of other people they are part of the problem in today's society where they prey on the weak-minded because of the fact that they either have a particular image that people adore or they're they're amazing with their words and have so much wizardry behind it they are part of the problem or they are the problem rather the people investing in it unfortunately are part of the problem as well because they are allowing this guy's message to be projected through the masses. So I think it's up to the people to clog his pocketbooks, 
to not go to his shows, to not attend any seminars or anything of the sort, so that this guy can be shut down forever. Now, will he be shut down forever? No. You know why? Because of two things. The internet has a short memory span, and because black people, when you interject religion into anything, are very forgiving. They'll go to their Bible scripture. They'll say, you know, everyone deserves forgiveness, yada, yada, yada. And then he'll be back doing the same shit over and over again. But all I got to say to any woman who ever had a debate with me about this fucker right here, anyone who had a debate with me about this guy and called me a hater or anything like that in the sort. I told you so. I told you so. I told you that he was an ancient motherfucking piece of trash. I told you. I told you. I told you. I told you. I'm not going to say any names. You know who you are. If you know, you know. And just know this. This guy is trash. He is absolute trash. And unfortunately... There are still some women who are defending him and they're trying to defend him um, uh, with the uh, just by being defiant by saying, well, you know, some of the guys who are saying that he's trash are just as trash as he is. That's not the point, though. And mind you, I'm not trying to defend those guys because it's like Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. I'm not trying to defend those guys, but you have to understand that this guy painted himself as a trash bag. Sorry, he painted himself as 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 holier than thou, but was really a trash bag. When it comes to people like him who who fancy themselves as influencers and gurus and all these fancy names that we've drummed up within the lexicon of social media over the last decade or so, we have to remember that those names are some of the most pretentious titles that you can give yourself. Like, I can't stand the term influencer. Like, I'm an influencer. Oh, my God. I, I have so many followers on Instagram. Fuck off. I'm sorry, but the term influencer is the most pretentious shit in the world. And if I ever get to a point where I have, like, tens of thousands of followers, I wouldn't want anyone to call me an influencer. Now, if somebody were to call me a culture critic, because I've been called that before, sure, I'll take it, because I'm giving critiques on, what's, on what happens within hip-hop culture and pop culture and stuff like that. So, yeah, sure, I'll, that's fine, but I'm not going to, like, prop that be like, oh, I'm, I'm a culture critic, guys, look at me. Nah, like, that's, it's so fucking pretentious. And then, as far as guru goes, I don't like when the term guru, influencer, or anything that revolves around that nature gets applied to anything that pertains to the matters of the heart. So in other words, relationships. So whether it's a, a, a relationship guru, a relationship coach, or anything like that, I don't like those terms simply because of the fact that when it comes to relationships, there is no handbook on how to have a successful relationship. Relationships are subjective, in my opinion, because what may work for you in a relationship may not work for the next person. So by giving other people advice on how to conduct themselves within a relationship to me is not conducive look at i mean i i don't understand how somebody like steve harvey has such a large following even though that he's had three divorces and with each divorce 
he married the person that he was having an affair with. That's the guy that you want to listen to for relationship advice? The motherfucker that cheated? I may as well get... Oh, my God. I mean, I may as well have Rick Ross as my personal trainer if that's the case. <laughs> like, shit. Oh, my God. Listen, and this is why I say that Derek Jackson Jr., sorry, Derek Jackson <laughs> is not going to get canceled. You know why? Besides the reasons I just put out, it's because of the fact that people like Steve Harvey still exist. Steve Harvey still has a nationally syndicated television show that talks about relationships, and he does the exact same thing that, that Derek Jackson does. The only difference is that Steve does it for a mature audience. He does it for the women who are 40 and up and who are, <clears throat> pardon me, and who are running out of options, basically. Whereas Derek Jackson does it for the 30 and up crowd, I would say, you know, he is what Steve Harvey is to the view. Sorry, he is what the real is to the view. There we go. That's the best way I can put it. But yeah, he's trash. They're, they're both trash. They're both trash individuals. And if you are a woman who listens to either one of those people, stop it because you're setting yourself up for failure. All they want is your money and your attention, and you're just giving it to them. And they're giving you nothing but terrible advice in return. And when it all when it's all said and done, you're gonna look at yourself probably in your in your 50s at this point, still no man, probably a, a, a half a dozen cats, and you're still gonna be screaming out to the rooftop that niggas ain't shit. But nobody's gonna be listening to you because you're 50 years old with a half dozen cats and no relationship. And people aren't going to be blaming the, the, the guys that you're dating. They're going to be blaming you. It's like, what are you doing to attract these people? Or what is it about your standards that you know nobody can seem to measure up to? It's going to be all on you. And you got to be able to take accountability for your own actions. And the problem with these fuckboys like Steve Harvey and Derek Jackson is the fact that they try to absolve you of any accountability that you should have taken on yourself a long time ago. That's the problem with them. They tell you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Listen, guys. Derek Jackson's going to be fine. Like, that's the reality of the situation. Because at the end of the day, the internet, the internet forgets. The internet forgets. Listen, he's going to be fine, all right? Like, I can wish for his downfall or whatever the case may be, but at the end of the day, he's going to be fine. He's a piece of shit, but he's going to be fine. That's the reality of the situation. He's going to be fine, but it doesn't mean that we still can't have a good laugh at his stupidity because he has said and done a lot of stupid things during this time. And we could play back his videos of all the times they said, uh, if you're not a real man, if you can't do this, you're not a real man, if you can't do that. Um, oh, you, you should love a big woman. Oh, you're a terrible man if you don't love a big woman. We can laugh at all the videos that he has in his catalog. But the one video that I want to laugh at and dissect is a video that he put up this week amidst all the controversy. And that leads us into our final segment of the podcast. So on that note, who has entered the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of Coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. Ladies and gents, 
I would be insulting your very intelligence if I were to make you guess who the wankster of the week is. And it is none other than the man that we have been discussing on for the last half hour and a bit. And that is Derek Jackson. So this whole thing that, that has happened makes him a wankster, obviously. But the thing that intensifies the wanksterness of his wankster is the fact that amidst all the controversy of of the women coming out and, you know, exactly how many times he's cheated and his hypocrisy being put on full display is the fact that he decided to do yet another car seat video talking about these allegations. But what he did that really showed his narcissism was he did a video on himself. So the same way that he would talk about guys who cheat all the time or or guys who don't know how to treat a woman, et cetera, et cetera, he basically did it to himself. It's almost like he was looking in the mirror or, or was at least looking at the selfie angle of his of his phone and decided to record a video dissecting himself. And throughout the entire video, he was speaking in third person like he was Dwayne The Rock Johnson circa 1999 when he was The Rock, the people's champ. Or maybe he was the corporate champ at that time. Either way, my man was sounding like a WWF wrestler from the Attitude Era talking about, well, Derek Jackson seems like a good guy who probably made a few mistakes, but it's okay because you know what? He's a man of God. He's a God-fearing Christian. He knows that we all make mistakes, but throughout those mistakes, he's able to then put some good into the world. Derek Jackson is this. Derek Jackson is that. Derek Jackson is black. Derek Jackson is tall. Derek Jackson is muscular. Derek Jackson is handsome. Derek Jackson is the epitome of mankind. Wow. This motherfucker is a psychopath. So not only do you lie about cheating, you bring your wife on camera just to convince the world that you're no longer a cheater and that you cheated because God, God's will tried to test you and, and you couldn't measure up to it. And then you tried to promote your book in the process. And then behind the scenes, you also try to put a gag order on Tasha K from exposing any more of his business. By the way, I forgot to mention that. My apologies. But now you go off and do a video and you try to dissect yourself by pointing out what you did. But then you also try and justify by saying that you're a God-fearing Christian man and that you make your mistakes and that you're trying to do better. Nah, bro. You don't get to come out of this unscathed. Nah, you're a fuckboy. And everybody in the whole damn world now knows that you're a confirmed fuckboy. Your mistresses that were confirmed know that you're a fuckboy. The ones who have yet to come out know that you're a fuckboy. And everybody in your family, including your wife, though she may never admit it, deep down inside her achy, breaky heart, knows that you, Derek Jackson the Jackass, is a fuckboy. So fuck you Fuck your book, fuck your inspirational words, and fuck everything that is a part of the Derek Jackson brand because you are a fucking waste, you're a waste man, you're a hypocrite, you're a piece of shit, and you don't deserve to have anybody's money in your pockets ever again because you are a fuck boy of the lowest grade, and by that account, go fuck yourself. Whew, man. But waiting five years to say this shit. I just needed a reason. I just needed a reason. At least that's one good thing he did for me. Was to give me a reason to call him a fuckboy. Now he's a confirmed fuckboy. I love it. I love it. 
What I don't love, however, is that we have now reached the end of tonight's podcast. So on that note, I want to thank you all for tuning in as always. Um, for those of you who may not be aware, we are now on on uh, Spotify. So for all my Spotify users out there, you can catch this um, podcast on Spotify. You can search Cool Radio. Make sure the word cool is an is an acronym form so i have a period between each letter or you can just search simply search up dm cool and my podcast will come up as well so if you are a spotify user make sure you hop on that as well um i'm still trying to get on apple podcast man these guys are stingy with it. i don't know what's going on i may have to talk to uh <laughs> um uh their support team customer support team and see what we can do. But nonetheless, it's all good. Uh, but yeah, really want to thank y'all for tuning in once again. It's your man, DM Cool. Follow me on multiple social media platforms. And as always, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace.